preach in Jesus' name this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 1. <clears throat> the title of the message this morning is The Seven Marvels of God's Mercy. First chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah is speaking to God's people who have wandered away from him and uh, still had a shell of religion, if you want to call it that. They were doing burnt offerings. They were going through all the procedures. They were um, doing through their religious motions, but God said, I'm disgusted at it, I, uh, your incense is abomination to me, in verse 13, and verse 16, I'm going to start reading, it says, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead the widow. The text is verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. passage of warning, a passage of opportunity, but God is not mincing words when he says, I extend to you my invitation, I extend to you my mercy, I extend to you blessing, but if you refuse and rebel... You will perish. Mark my word. The mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. <clears throat> Come now, let us reason together. First marvel of God's mercy, see in this passage of Scripture, that God would even be inclined to forgive us at all. Psalm 130, verse 3 says, If thou, Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who, shall, who should stand? Who shall stand? And that is a sobering, profound concept. If God says your iniquities are your iniquities, they will always be your iniquities. The psalmist says, who would have a chance? And the question is obvious. Nobody. It is a marvel that God in His holiness would reach out and offer forgiveness to anyone. Verse 4 of that same psalm says, 
But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. God wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with me, a personal relationship with us. And he forgives us so we have a platform that we can communicate and that we can relate on. As I studied this, I, uh, you know, the Bible says the greatest thing is love. But as I, as I contemplated the mercy of God, it's like, uh, mercy as I, I, I would suppose is a, is, is a subsequent product of God's love. And I don't see how he can love without being merciful. Man, I thought about me and I thought, you know, can I really say I love someone or can I really say I love God and yet bear down on my brother or sister or ungodly neighbor or whatever? Um, if we're going to have a foundation of a relationship, then we're going to have to forgive. And uh, God, God extends to us mercy. He extends to us forgiveness so that there's a platform, so that there's a basic foundation for us to relate properly to him. He forgives us so we can actually fear him the way we should. You see, sometimes we do things and in reaction to our behavior, somebody else will sin. All right? If I told you that you were ignorant and your wife's ugly, you, you could get a pretty bitter spirit about that. So, you know, I would be in, at fault, and you could sin because of what I said. But see, God never did anything wrong. There was, God did not force man to sin. He sinned on his own without a cause. No cause whatsoever. Man sinned. So, if God didn't do anything wrong, does he have an obligation to forgive us? Absolutely not. See, one of our motivations to forgive is because we want others to forgive us. And, and you know, the, the, the Lord's Prayer challenges us to that. You know, if we want to forgive, if we want to be forgiven, then we need to forgive. And so that can be an underlying motivation for our forgiveness. Because we know we should, because sometimes we're going to need it ourselves. But God does not, isn't like that. He never needs forgiven. Hence, he's never obligated to forgive. But he wants to. And that, ref that reflects to us the deep inner longings of God toward us as individuals. He wants to forgive us, even though he has no obligation. Psalm 103.10 says, 
He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. How high is the heavens? I mean, we talk about light years to stars, right? 186,000 miles a second for a whole year. How, how far could you get? But God is willing to forgive us. It is amazing. It is a marvel that God would even forgive it all. But his mercy is great if we fear him. The second marvel is that God would, should be willing to forgive anyone. You know, we have our preferences. We like maybe certain people better than others and whatever. You know, it's easier for us to give, forgive one person than maybe another person or some people are just plain can, cantankerous and we... So it tries us. I had a neighbor one time, wouldn't even look at me. I mean, it, he would jerk his head sideways if I waved at him. I'd say, you know what, it's a personal problem. I'm going to keep waving and see how what God can do in your heart. And it ended up we became very good friends. But it's a marvel that God would forgive any single person in the world. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, who your relatives are, who your ancestors are, whether they were horse thieves or whether they weren't, or whether they're Mennonite bishop or, or a son or daughter president of the United States. It simply doesn't matter. John 3, verse 14 says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever. There's not a single person here this morning. There's not a single person in Blooming Prairie. There's not a single person in the state of Minnesota or United States of America or the entire world that says, can say legitimately that I am outside of the grace of God and the mercy of God. It just simply is not true. The Bible says, whosoever. And that means me and if that means you. We can't stand behind. Well, I have so much against me. I have this and I have that. And I've um, done too much or, or whatever. Whosoever. It is a marvel. When I was growing up, the epitome, in my mind, as a small boy, of a wicked person 
was I think I get it right. Madam Murray O'Hare. Is that right? Is that, is that the right name? What? Madeline Murray O'Hare. Is that right? Whatever. She was a agnostic. She didn't believe in God. She dedicated her whole life to going around trying to prove that there was no God. Now, why would you do that? I have no clue. If there is no God, why would you waste your time trying to prove something that isn't, that doesn't even exist? The little children's story about gully whopper eggs, you ever see? You ever read that book? Something about gully whopper eggs, a gully whopper laid an egg or something. It's like now, if I would spend my entire life trying to prove that there aren't gully whoppers, you say, the man's insane. I mean, he's crazy. Whosoever. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All. So what does all mean? What does it mean? Someone has said, all means all, and that's all that all means. No, that's fairly profound. But it's interesting, I mean, it's important that we get that. All means all, and all is all that all means. And when the Bible says that all should come to repentance, that's what it means. So God, this morning, is willing to extend his mercy to any single individual that's willing To ask for forgiveness. The third marvel of God's mercy is that God would even condescend to reason with sinners. He says, Come now, let us reason together. Do you ever meet somebody that was unreasonable? You say, there is no point. We might as well not even start the conversation because we are so far apart that, and they are bullheaded, they're belligerent, they don't want to listen, they don't want to hear it, and so I'm just like, we ain't going there. But God says, come now, let us reason together. God wants you, God wants me to stop and think. And by the way, brothers and sisters, this morning, if there's anything that is destroying America today is that Satan has put in front of America continual information all the time 
because he doesn't want us to think. Get up in the morning. This is not me, okay, but there's people. Get up in the morning. They use the alarm clock for a radio for alarm clock, and they have a radio going, and it's yakety, 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 so they get downstairs and the TV's going and it's yakety, 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 and they listen to the radio on the way to work and they crank up the radio at work and it, it was great to me for 18 years. And finally we come to a concession between the people, the pro-radio people and the anti-radio people is that, okay, you can have it on, but it's got to be at a certain volume. And that volume is just so you can hear it, and I can't. Well, I can tune it out, but you can still hear it. And when it comes to lunchtime, for 12 o'clock to 12.30, there's no radio. Alright? If we're going to communicate, we're going to communicate without a radio back in the background. I'm simply saying... America, one of our problems is, we do not think. We do not stop and think. And God says, come now, let us reason together. Let's stop. Now, I'm showing my age here, and I don't know if you've seen any of these or not. I've seen one just in Pennsylvania the other day where they had the X at the railroad crossing, and it says, stop, look, and listen. You ever, you ever see How many have seen a sign like that? I, I didn't think the young ones were going to put their hand up. But that's what they always said. Stop, look, and listen. Now it just says railroad crossing. But God wants us to stop, look, and listen. You know why? He wants us to reason because... The problem is, man without God is unreasonable. You must stop. I must stop. You must stop. We need to evaluate where we are with God if we're ever going to be right with God. That's why the devil has all the cover-up stuff. I must reason with God... If I'm going to accept him as my personal Savior, I must reason with God as I, if I'm going to continue to walk with him as a Christian. Eli Yutzi, and I said this before over this pulpit, and I'll say it again, I quote Eli Yutzi, he said, in our revival meetings in Ohio, there's only two classes of people that possibly can be called sane. The first class as, is those who are right with God, and the second class is those who are getting right with God. Everything else is a form of insanity. To not follow God's will for our life, brothers and sisters this morning, is a form of insanity. It simply doesn't make sense. We are doomed. We are downhill slide. We are on the slippery slope to hell. If we do not, if, if I do not, Reason with God. There is no good ahead. None whatsoever. 
But we're reluctant. Unfortunately, too often, we're reluctant to deal with God. We're reluctant to stop. We're reluctant to be honest. We're reluctant to see things as God sees them. But God is never reluctant to deal with me and with you. He is never reluctant. So I must stop. I must reason. That God would condescend from the highest of heaven to come down and say, Dennis, would you stop and think? Notice that in Nicodemus. He says, okay, you said that, but that don't make sense to me. How can this be? All right? He didn't say, that's the dumbest idea in the world. Being born again, that, that can't happen. I'm out of here. No. He says, explain to me. Tell me. I want to know. And Jesus was not reluctant to reason with Nicodemus. The fourth amazing thing, marvel, is that God would continue to reason with us after removing all reasons not to be saved. Now, if you look at our passage of Scripture, that was an Old Testament. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That was in the Old Testament. He is appealing to his people in the Old Testament for them to stop and, and to reason with them. Now, just think with me, consider with me everything that happened since that time. Now, I, I can kind of relate to Nicodemus because Jesus hadn't died yet. He didn't understand the plan of salvation. All, all this hadn't transpired yet. So, so Nicodemus is saying, like, how does this all work? But brothers and sisters this morning, friends, here... There's a lot transpired since then. God sent Jesus. He lived a life of example to us. We have that recorded in the Gospels. He died for us. He suffered for us. He resurrected for us. He ascended for us. He intercedes for us. He prompts us by His Holy Spirit. He gives us a lifetime of opportunity to get right with Him. And yet He still says... Come, let us reason together. All those things that we would have had a hard time understanding if we were Nicodemus' shoes have all come out. And it is clear as crystal. It is simple. The plan of salvation. And God says, after He has removed all those things that were hard to explain at Isaiah's time, 
And he says, please, would you stop? Would you think? The fifth marvel of the mercy of God is that God not only forgives us, but he transforms us. Now, God could say, you did all these things, you know, you did this, you did this, you sinful thing, this sinful thing, this sinful thing, and so I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to clean your slate. But see, he didn't give you a new heart. How would that be? God wants more than the slate cleaned. He wants a new heart. He wants a new motivation. He wants you. Not just the things that you've done taken care of. He wants you, he wants me with a personal relationship with him. And that's a lifetime quest. However, we may be going the right direction. We need to be pursuing that. Or we're just going to say, well, I just, you know, I, 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 I asked God to forgive me and he, he forgave me and so now I'm a Christian. Now, wait a minute. That's okay, but it comes dramatically short of what God wants for you and he wants for me. He wants a personal relationship with me. He wants a changed heart. He wants what Darren just showed us this morning. If I'm walking this way and you see me walking that way at the same time, you need a glass of water. You need a whole lot more than that. If I appear to be going this way, but my life has actually gone that way, folks, we need to get right with God. We need more than a glass of water. This is not about church membership, as important as that is. It is the direction we are going with God. Whether we are reasoning with God, we are honest with God, and we are walking with God. 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Things have changed. If I look back, and I made this commitment to Christ, but it didn't change nothing. It didn't change a thing, except that maybe I got baptized or this or that or whatever, and, and I started wearing just kind of a suit to church or a covering or whatever. If that's all it is, then we have a long way to go. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The only experience I can equate to that other than being born again personally is when I was ordained a minister. I mean, I went, I went to work that next day, and I mean, the whole world was different. I was like, whoa, what happened to me over last night? Everything looked different. Job looked different. The guys I work with looked different. The church looked different. My family looked different. Everything looked different. All things are become new. I may be tempted to do what I used to do, 
but I don't want to. And by God's help, I'm not going to. And if I fail, I ask God to forgive me, and I continue to walk His direction. I don't accept this going backwards and backwards and backwards and backwards and backwards. And I have issues with God, and God is calling me back to Himself, and I simply ignore it because I am a Christian. The sixth marvel is that God would forgive and transform us on such easy terms. <clears throat> you ever hear of, I, I don't even know what religion it is, but they, what, they crawl on nails or something? What, what is that religion? They, they walk on nails or they crawl on nails or they crawl from for five miles on their hands and knees or do all these strange things to appease whoever or whatever their religion is. God says the terms of this. First term, the first term that he's, he's asking is we got to stop and we got a reason, okay? I have to get your attention. I have to get your attention. I have to get honesty. I have to have you understand where you are in relationship with me. I have to get you to acknowledge your sinful condition. You have to reject personal denial. Oh, I'm not that bad at it. You know there's a... Oh, well, Cleon here, he has his problems too, so... You know, mine, you know. So he has some, I have some, Dwight has some, Gary, whatever. So we're, we're all in the same boat, so just, it's good. No, no, no. That's denial. What's reality? That's what we need to know. What is reality? Despite everybody else, despite everybody else's failures or whatever they may be, sins or inconsistencies or whatever, what's reality? That's, we have to meet that term. Number two, we need to believe in Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. We need to believe. We should not perish, but have everlasting life. We need to be convinced that God is worth pursuing. That Jesus Christ's life, example, and death was not a waste of time. We need to see that in its true value. I need to believe that with all my heart. If I... make that in my mind smaller than it really is, I'm going to have what I call a half-baked conversion. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son in the world to condemn the world, 
but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. So I must believe. Jesus said in John 6:35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I must be convinced. I must believe. It must be a heart belief. It can't be just a head belief. Third, we need to confess Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I cannot be, if I am truly born again, I cannot be an invisible Christian. It just simply doesn't exist. The mouth needs to confess. I need to confess. I don't think our commitment to Jesus Christ will go very far if I refuse to publicly Confess Jesus Christ. You know, I'll just do this little thing in my heart. Maybe I'll just go through the motions. I heard once that after a baptismal, the people in the baptismal class were out in the parking lot after church cursing in relation to the service. I cannot fathom that. I simply cannot fathom that. Number four. Terms I must forsake my sin and my sinning. In other words, what I have accumulated and what I am continuing to do. I must forsake that. I must acknowledge that it is not, even though I have done it in the past, it is not okay that I continue to do that. I must forsake my sin and my sinning. Proverbs 28 says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. We won't get anywhere if we're covering it up. 
But whoso forsaketh, pardon me, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. We need to forsake our sin and our sinning. Number seven, <coughs> seventh marvel, is that despite all that I've described this morning, the marvel that God would bear patiently with those who refuse to reason with Him. When I consider, and when I think of the depth of the love of God, and I think about the depth of the mercy of God, you think, brothers and sisters this morning, that it would get off. See, Satan believed that every man has his limit. And he believed, to his undoing, that Jesus had his limit. He thought Jesus had his price. He thought Jesus had his limit. He took him up there on the pinnacle of the temple and he said, I will give you the entire kingdoms of the world if you will bow down to me. And Jesus says, I'm not buying your price. I'm not going to be bought off. Jesus thought, I mean, pardon me, Satan thought that he would destroy Jesus Christ when he got him crucified. But he found out Jesus wasn't going to be bought off. Neither could you push him past his limit. I, I think I wonder where I would be if God had a limit. That thought of the incredible, almost unbelievable mercy of God is a tremendous thought. My brothers and sisters this morning, To presume on that is an incredibly dangerous position to be in. God's mercy, so I'll just keep doing what I'm doing, uh, you know, maybe tomorrow. Maybe next week. Maybe after I get married. Then I'll get serious with God. Maybe. No, no, no. That that wouldn't be too much fun because you know, I, I can have a whole lot of fun through my 20s. Maybe, maybe 30. Or 40. You know, when you realize you're over the hill. Maybe then. dangerous position to be in. Tremendously dangerous position. None of us know what tomorrow will bring. And yet Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, 
all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I, I don't know how to describe it. But I know there's times in my life where I did not have rest in my soul. I didn't deserve it because I had issues with God that I was uh, unwilling to take care of. But I found his yoke easy and I found his burden light. And some of that, I, I, I can't, well, maybe I shouldn't say it had nothing to do with sin. I guess, well, well, you can figure this out, but maybe holding back 20% is a sin, or 25%. You know, God, I'll go this far, but I don't want to make a heel out of myself. I don't want to stand out in the crowd. You know, I don't want to be all that you want me to be. But there's something about just telling God, I, I'll do anything you want. I'll do anything you want. And, and I'll tell you this morning, for me, that is not an easy thing to say. I can take you to the place, the glass sliding door that I stood in, in Aurora, Ohio. And it wasn't in a revival meeting, and it wasn't in, I don't know, I mean, all the different commitments I've made publicly in revival meetings in my lifetime, this was not one. But God was working in my life, and I can tell you, I can tell you exactly where I was standing when I said, okay, God, it doesn't matter. I will do anything you want. I don't put myself up on a pedestal. I'm just simply... I'm trying to walk my road to heaven. But I can tell you one thing. There is something about that unreserved commitment to Jesus Christ that makes a dramatic difference in your life. I will tell you that. And I have made a lot of mistakes since. I have made a lot of whatever. But, but somehow, somehow, that pinnacle, if you want to call that pinnacle, when God places you on there and you say, God, I'll do anything you want, anytime, anywhere, changes the entire landscape, even in relation to 75%, and you're holding back 25%. Now, I confess, I've not always kept that up the way I should have. But there's something about an underlying desire to have that be a personal experience that changes your life. 
So if you're tired of your sin, if you're tired of your sinning, if you want to find rest, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Back to our text. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I think the Lord is directing me to give an altar call this morning. If you're here. You are not what God wants you to be. If you're trying and you are making progress with God, the invitation is not here for you this morning. The invitation is for if you are going backwards, you know you're going backwards. God is telling you you're going backwards. Or if you have not ever given your life to the Lord, today is your opportunity.